Welcome to From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. It isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how do we respond? Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. And now, here is your host, Dave Hollenbach. Today, I'm talking with the fire chief for Maitland Fire Rescue. He was hired by the city of Maitland in February of 2001. He worked his way up through the ranks serving as a, a firefighter, firefighter paramedic, an engineer paramedic, lieutenant paramedic, battalion chief, deputy chief, and now he is the fire chief. He holds a bachelor's degree in emergency management from Waldorf University and an associate's degree in fire science from Columbia Southern University. He holds Fire Officer 2, Fire Instructor 3, and Fire Safety Officer certifications with the state of Florida. I just wanted to get into uh, a little bit of your background, what kind of led you into the fire service. Maybe give us some background of your life growing up. What, what was your family like? Um, did you play any sports? Like, you know, that kind of stuff. Give us a foundation. Well, certainly. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, my father is a retired deputy sheriff, Orange County Sheriff's Office. So certainly he uh, paved the way in public service for me. Um, my mother uh, retired as a real estate agent uh, in the Orlando area. And so they both, uh, they both worked very hard um, to provide for the family. I knew I wanted to do the same for my future family. Um, and so with my father's background in public safety as the um, working for the sheriff's office, <clears throat> I knew that I, I wanted to follow his footsteps. It wasn't until I rode uh, as a ride-along program with the sheriff's office and took some classes in criminal justice that I realized that um, law enforcement was not for me. And so uh, it uh, being a firefighter and uh, an EMT and then subsequently a paramedic uh, was the next avenue that I wanted to travel down. Where did you grow up? Uh, uh, I'm guessing in Orange County. Um, what, what high school did you go to and um, did you play any sports? Yeah, so I played uh, high school football. I went to Winter Park uh, High School. Well, prior to Winter Park, I attended Trinity Prep, um, and then I graduated from Winter Park. Um, I grew up in the Winter Park, uh, Winter Springs area, uh, just outside of uh, Oviedo, and I consider Oviedo to be uh, my home, only because um, uh, it just was the closest um, closest area that uh, from where I grew up. And um, pretty much lived in that area my entire life. Um, I, I like living close enough to where I can um, have the various luxuries of life, but also far enough away to where I'm not in the 
hustle of uh, downtown or high congestion areas. What was your your family life like uh, when you were growing up? My family life was uh, very family oriented. Dinners at nighttime, all together. Uh, weekends together with the family, whether it's sports events or, or you know, just outside with the family. Um, I I grew up, uh, you know, definitely family oriented. I have an older sister, six years older than me, and so uh, she rode horses. And we spent a lot of time um, at horse shows and watching her doing that, uh, you know, field. That along with uh, playing football, uh, my family was always there to support me. That really instilled a lot in me as far as the kind of man that I wanted to be and how I wanted to be there for my children. What, what are some of your fondest memories growing up? I would say some of my fondest memories are working with my dad around the yard. We lived on uh, almost three acres of land and having horses and having a lot of property required a lot of maintenance. And I was always outside with my father, whether it was helping him just doing basic tasks like cutting grass or whether we were cutting down a tree or stretching a new fence line. my fondest memories were watching him and learning from him and then doing the task myself as I got older. What was the hardest challenge you had to overcome to get in the fire service and, and how did you overcome that? One of the hardest challenges is I'm not very good in school. I, 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 don't, um, I don't have the, uh, the skill set to sit down and read a book and memorize something and then apply that knowledge to a written test. So uh, going to school uh, was not something I enjoyed because I knew I wasn't going to be good at taking a test. And so I had to work very hard at that. And it, it wasn't uncommon for me to have to retake a test or it wasn't uncommon for me to, um, uh, to have to study very hard and study in groups and flashcards and things like that. And so um, that was extremely challenging. The academic portion of, of, um, of school, whether it was my formal education and emergency management or whether it was you know, paramedic school. Um, in fact, I had to retake my paramedic state test um, and I, I passed it on the second time taking it, but it was a difficult test. And uh, the difficulty was uh, preparing for it and trying to anticipate the questions that were going to be asked. So probably my most difficult time getting into the fire service career was the academic portion of it. Uh, the physical fitness part of it, um, it came very easy to me. Um, I've always been relatively physically fit. And so uh, learning the skills of being a firefighter were, were rather easy. And in fact, I enjoyed that part a lot. Well, I'm sure your background uh learning from your father, those, um, those skills, manual labor, kind of uh, learning how to use tools and just uh, taking care of the, the property really helped out a lot um, with your capacity to understand the, the manual labor side of firefighting. Yeah, certainly. You learn the skills in fire school, and the techniques, and um, and then you you apply lessons that you've learned in your life and how to do certain things, and uh, 
you know, you hone those skills. And, and I just, I really enjoyed um, learning the art of firefighting, the art of cutting a vehicle up uh, and, and the mechanics behind it. I just, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Now, what would you identify as the hardest challenge you faced while in the field as what, you know, whether it was when you were in the role of firefighter, lieutenant, battalion chief, just, you know, a, a challenge that uh, you came up against possibly on a call or even in the station. So I would say uh, the most challenging part is, is while, um, and I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak for myself. So during your career as a firefighter, um, every scene that you go to, you develop a, uh, I used to call it the Rolodex of scenes in your head. So uh, for instance, if you went on a house fire, uh, you put you put everything that you did on that house fire in this Rolodex and this file card. And the very next house fire you go on, you apply all of your experience um, on things that went right and things that went wrong. And, uh, and then you apply the training that you have uh, had up to that point. And one of the most difficult things was trying to blend all of those experiences and training together to make a, a tactical decision on, on whether you're saving someone's life on a medical scene or whether you're fighting a fire or cutting up a vehicle in an entrapment. Um, you know, some of the split second decisions that have to be made, um, that is rather difficult at times. Um, and then when you make the wrong decision, uh, identifying uh, the lessons learned so that you can improve your skills for the next call. Do you have any examples? Yeah, so when I was a lieutenant, um, we had a, a gas station um, uh, just uh, on the other side of uh, where the station is located on 1792 that was called in a mid-afternoon, I believe it was um, during the summer, mid-afternoon fire. Uh, was called in from uh, across the street. Actually, our fire administration called in the fire and um, our battalion chief got on scene first and reported uh, heavy fire showing from the alpha side, which was the 1792 side of the building. And uh, I knew this was my first two area. I knew the building very well and I knew it had an access road uh, that um, that went around, around the whole building and I wanted to get uh, good um, multi-view look of the building um, that had active fire showing. So I instructed my, uh, my driver operator to uh, drive the engine around the backside of the building because I wanted to get that, that 360 degree view. Um, as we approached the backside of the building, our, our uh, access point to the front was going to be blocked. I knew I didn't want to park in the very front of the building because I wanted to leave, leave the room for, uh, for a truck company and or additional apparatus to come in. And so I wanted to park on the side of the building and make, uh, make our advance with hose lines in from that side of the building. But my access was blocked. And so we had to reposition our truck 
which gave us a disadvantage in making an aggressive attack on the fire. <clears throat> in hindsight, the lessons learned um, was, uh, you know, knowing your area very well and knowing that access road that, that had that block in it. Uh, obviously, you know, if I was to do it over again, I would not have taken that route. <clears throat> but I thought at the time when the fire was uh, called in, I thought that that was the best choice. And so we took it and uh, obviously uh, it turned out to be an error on our part. Throughout your career in the fire service, uh, I know that you've come in contact with, with some phenomenal leaders. I'm wondering out of those individuals that, that you've engaged with, who would you say influenced your career the most and, and why, why that individual? So I would say hands down, um, the individual that influenced my career the most um, is uh, my former fire chief, Kimberly Neisler. She uh, I've, you know, worked through the ranks together, uh, but when I was hired with the fire department, she was lieutenant and I was under her command for a brief period of time. Um, but you know, with the history that, that she had in the fire service and the experiences that she had in this particular fire department, um, she was, uh, she shared all those experiences and, and working with her through the various ranks up to uh, when she retired, I was her deputy chief. Um, she never missed an opportunity to share those lessons uh, with me, uh, whether they were uh, things that went right or things that went wrong. And, and, you know, I would, I would uh, be remiss if I did not uh, also mention uh, one of my previous lieutenants that has since retired, uh, Steve Brown. And, and I mentioned him because he wanted excellence out of his crew. And when I think of a lieutenant that, I, that uh, comes to mind of someone that, that truly wants the very best for their crew, no matter what, builds them up and breaks them down when they need to be, it was him. Um, uh, for instance, if if you couldn't answer certain pump operator questions while you were one of his firefighters, well, you didn't drive for him uh, because he expected the best and he made you the best. And I uh, just I'll, I'll never forget uh, that lieutenant and, uh, you know, the, the lessons that he has taught me. What is the most memorable moment that you've had in the fire service? So the lieutenant that I just mentioned, Lieutenant Steve Brown, uh, both of his parents were killed in, uh, in a motorcycle accident. A drunk driver actually hit them uh, when they were up in North Carolina. And um, I was relatively new on the job. I was under two years on. And um, one of the things that, uh, that I remember so well in the fire service is how the entire shift um, took off and went up to North Carolina to attend the funeral and to be by his side uh, because of the sudden loss of his parents. Um, the other thing that really hit home to me and, and made me realize the true brother and sisterhood bond of the fire service is that in a small department like Maitland, uh, so Steve was on a shift and so all of A-Shift went up to attend the funeral. And since uh, A-Shift was not going to be present for their normal uh, workday, B and C-Shift both uh, worked uh, time trades to fill in the spots of A-Shift. Um, 
that level of brother and sisterhood I have never seen before in my life. Um, and uh, I'll never forget that. And it really, it instilled something in me that, you know, truly the fire service is a, is a fraternal group of, of humans that, that will really do anything for one another. Um, whether it's, you know, and during an emergency call or uh, because of a personal event that uh, takes place. Now, starting off in the fire service in 2001, what goals did you set for yourself in the fire service? And well, let me ask you this question first. How old were you when you when you started? I was 23 when I started at Maitland. So just from my personal experience, uh, you know, when I started in the fire service, my mindset was I wanted to be, you know, that smoke eating firefighter my entire career. <laughs> and then as time goes on, you realize that there's more, more to the fire service and you can have more influence um, as, as you take on more responsibility and, and move up through the ranks. So I'm curious, in, in the beginning of your career, what, what goals did you set for yourself uh, just career-wise and in your personal life? So career-wise, I, I wanted to just learn the job. I wanted to, I, when I started, I had some very seasoned firefighters on my shift that you know, made the job look very easy, talked about it like it was, um, like fighting a fire was, was just something that you do. And to me, I, I didn't know anything about it other than what you learn in fire school. And so I, my primary goal when I got hired on was just be the very best I can be, learn as much as I can, try to learn from others, learn from others, uh, you know, the things that went right, the things that went wrong and uh, just apply those, those skills to my own development. Then about a year and a half in, um, I knew the department was gonna grow. We were gonna double in size to a, from a one station fire department to a two station fire department. And so um, there was a lot of chatter in the fire station about promotions. And I had never really thought about that. You know, I, I had achieved pump operator certification, so I, I knew how to pump the fire truck and knew how to put water in hose lines, but I, um, but I never really thought about it until someone approached me and said, you know, the, the engineer position um, is a, you know, promotable position and, you know, you work in the capacity of, of, of a lieutenant in a lieutenant's absence and so on. And so I decided to start taking some tests for that um, and then working towards working towards future advancements in the fire department made me realize that if you want to instill change and you want to be a part of uh, the decision on making those changes, then you need to promote up in the fire department. I knew I I always had leadership capabilities because every job that I worked in, I maintained some form of leadership role, whether it was a supervisor or, or in management in some kind of capacity. And so 
I knew that I had those skills about me, but I just didn't know anything about the fire service starting on. So I wasn't about to think that I could be a fire chief or be a battalion chief or a lieutenant in the fire service when I first started. I just really wanted to learn the job. I wanted, I wanted to be the firefighter that I wanted coming to my door when I dialed 911. So as you moved through the ranks, how did you establish your goals moving forward? And, and let's say we'll, we'll broaden that question. And also I'll, I'll repeat because I wanted to, wanted to get an idea of what goals you set for yourself personally, for your personal life, kind of, um, what so in, in my opinion it's it's those goals that you set for yourself in your personal life that kind of drive the goals that you set for yourself in your professional life because it's your professional life that allows you to accomplish a lot of the things in your personal life um, whether it's you know if you want to travel the world or something like that um, uh, and that would be, I guess, separate. Well, no, I mean, if you're, if you're wanting to build a family, you want to be able to provide for them, which kind of drives you to want to develop professionally as well. So I'm just curious, as you, you move through your career, how did you go about setting goals for yourself professionally and personally? And then which of those goals have you accomplished and, and what goals have you set that you've yet to achieve? Starting the fire service as a, as a single bachelor and enjoying the time off that that uh, had to offer. But I knew that I wanted a family. You know, my, my parents raised me in a very family-oriented environment. I wanted to provide the same thing for my future kids. And so obviously with having a family comes the additional responsibility and, uh, and uh, financial implications and advancement in the fire department will provide that extra money. And uh, so I knew I already wanted to be the very best firefighter I could be, the best paramedic that I could be, learn the job to the best of my ability. And I knew that I had leadership um, capabilities within me. And so I knew advancement was the direction that I wanted to go and tying the two together, my personal life along with uh, my professional life, advancement in the fire department uh, seemed like the best course um, as I advanced, I became educated, uh, getting all the vocational uh, classes out of the way um, to meet the advancement requirements, uh, promotional requirements in the fire department. And as I got closer and closer to getting into administration, um, I started working on my formal degree and uh, obtained my associate and bachelor's degree. My long-term goal is obviously to remain healthy and retire, but also continue to give back. 
Um, you know, the fire service has given me tremendous uh, things and uh, a great career. And I want to continue to give back to, to not only the fire service, but the community. And so uh, something that I'm trying to figure out on where that's going to take me is, is what my next opportunity is going to be that I can give back to the community, uh, a community that's given so much to me. So as you prepared yourself for advancement, did you, did you establish short-term goals, long-term goals? Did you, did you have uh, an end state that you were trying to achieve or did you just kind of, did you just kind of wing it? Cause I know, I know both sides, you know, I, I, I know that early on in my career, I just kind of went along with, with kind of what was expected. And, um, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted to be the best that I could be in each position that I held. So I always took classes specific for those positions. And then when I, when I made engineer, I started taking the, the fire officer classes and I believe that's when you and I met uh, first. So I, I wanna say that was probably 15 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I did not have, I did not have goals per se. I, I wanted to, I wanted to obviously be ready for promotion and learn the skills of the job. But I, I had no desire to be the fire chief. Um, I had no desire to be the deputy chief um, in the fire department. So opportunities, uh, opportunities definitely came up and I was prepared for them. And I did not achieve every promotion uh, the first time I went out for it. So um, definitely nothing was, um, nothing was handed to me. And, and it wasn't like I had this, uh, this, okay, at six years, I want to be a lieutenant and at 10 years, I want to be a battalion chief and none of that. I, I really had no idea other than watching others and learning others. And, and along the way, um, I, I would say it's a mixture of preparing for the next opportunity and then winging it all combined together. Um, uh, you know, it, so much of the fire service is like that you um because it, it's so unpredictable um i i just made sure i was ready and i was prepared but i think being ready and prepared is what i think the driver behind that for me was to learn the job and to be the best at the job that i can be um and in doing so you're naturally preparing yourself for the next opportunity if you had it to do all over again knowing what you know now, would you do things differently? Yes, I would definitely do things differently. Um, I would not have promoted as quickly as I, as I did. And, and, and I don't, I don't necessarily, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I did anything wrong um, because I'm certainly very grateful for the opportunities that were given to me and especially the position that I'm in right now. But to if I was to say to a group of firefighters in their first five years on the job is I would say, enjoy it 
learn as much as you can. Um, take every day and soak it in because your career goes by very fast. And so enjoy the ride. And to some degree, um, I pushed myself through the career very quickly with promotions and, and preparing for future opportunities and trying to, to learn the job the best I can versus sometimes just sitting back and letting, letting the job come to you, let experiences come to you. Um, and enjoying every moment. I certainly enjoyed my career. I've, I've enjoyed every aspect of it, but I think if I was to do it all over again, I would slow down a bit and take every day and soak it in a little more than I did. What goals have you set for yourself that, that you haven't uh, accomplished yet? So a professional goal that I've yet to accomplish is I want to achieve my chief fire officer certification for the Centers of Public Safety Excellence um, and, achieve, and achieve a personal credentialing um, as a fire chief. Um, that's a personal goal that I'd like to achieve. I'm also um, looking towards getting my graduate degree. Um, so uh, that is another goal that I have in mind. Um, so professional goals, those are some things that I have. On a personal goal, I just, I, like I said before, I want to stay physically fit. I want to stay healthy. I want to retire and enjoy uh, life. I think that um, you, we, hear, we hear studies all the time and read articles too many times about firefighters that retire and they, uh, their life ends way too soon. And so um, physical and mental health are very important, especially after a long career in the fire service. And so I want to maintain, um, I want to maintain a healthy lifestyle so that I could enjoy retirement. How have you measured your own personal success in the fire service? And then a second part to that question, as, as a fire chief, how do you measure the success of your people? Well, that's funny. I was actually going to say my personal success is, re is, is a reflection of the success of the fire department and the success of the members of the fire department. If, uh, if, the, if, if the fire department succeeds, then I succeed. Um, so I think the two go hand in hand. Um, so one of the things that, one of the things that that I had to deal with early on and as a fire chief is uh, going through accreditation deferral uh, with the CPSC, the Center for Public Safety Excellence. Um, Maitland Fire Rescue Department is a fire accredited fire department. And so during the transition of um, me being a deputy chief to a fire chief, we were going through reaccreditation. And it was during that reaccreditation efforts that we were uh, notified that we were going to be deferred. Now, deferred means that um, we did not meet the reaccreditation benchmarks that were needed to go and sit before the board. Um, that was a very humbling experience for me as the brand new fire chief to have to report to uh, my boss, uh, City Hall, and say that we did not get reaccredited, that we have to uh, rework our, our accreditation efforts and, uh, and fix some errors that we had in order to, to be reaccredited. And so 
we are in the final stages of doing that now. And uh, we, we believe uh, very strongly that we will achieve reaccreditation. And so um, that was, uh, that was a, a, a point in my career that I, that I had to dig deep and realize that um, uh, being, getting the department through that successfully uh, was, was gonna be a monumentous task and one that um, I had to make sure that I saw it through for the entire fire department. Um, not for me, but for all of the members of the fire department, because it is a reflection of all of us. And um, me being the chief, I, I took on that responsibility and put some very key people in places that could help get the entire fire department through the accreditation effort. Being deferred and making sure that uh, that deferral isn't the end all that you do achieve reaccreditation. Knowing you, I, I'm sure that, and, and knowing people in the area that we, we both um, look up to uh, that are, that are experiencing all that, I'm sure you reached out to them and, and probably got some advice and uh, just curious what advice was provided and, and how have you applied that? The feedback that I got from other fire chiefs was just tremendous and full of positive support. And what they told me was that I needed to look at this as an opportunity, an opportunity to reshape the fire department See, what you don't want to do is you don't want to look at accreditation as a way that you are going to try to mold a fire department's operations into fit into an accreditation model. Rather, what accreditation needs to be is a roadmap on how to properly run a fire department with the lessons learned the international lessons learned from other fire departments on industry standard effective response, you were able to take the operations of your fire department and apply those lessons. And so what the deferral did was it allowed us to take a deep look into how we do things, how the Maitland Fire Department has always done things, and then say, okay, this is how things were done before. This is what accreditation says that we need to do. And based on industry standard, this is what we need to do to move forward. And this is how we are gonna re achieve reaccreditation. And so it's been a tremendous opportunity for us to, to change things for the better in this fire department. Maitland Fire Department has always done things very good. Um, but this gave us an opportunity to even improve on those, those things that, um, that needed tweaking. And without the deferral, we would not have taken that deep look inside of how we've done things and given us an opportunity to change them. There is 
an awesome quote that's attributed to Marcus Aurelius, the the Roman emperor, the this the philosopher emperor. He uh, he studied Stoicism. He he was considered a, a Stoic. The the quote that's attributed to him is the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. So standing at a wall of opposition is intimidating, but it also creates motivation. Knowing the wall you have to climb can push you to find a way over it. So I just, what you were just talking about, initially, I'm sure it was, well, you said it yourself, it was a humbling experience to, to be told by the Center for Public Safety Excellence that you're being deferred for uh, reaccreditation. But what that did was it actually created this opportunity. Well, it helped you helped you recognize an opportunity and you seize that opportunity. And it's just, I, I just thought it was, uh, thought it was pretty cool that um, what you just said basically sums up that ancient wisdom. Yes, I, I actually would not have preferred it any other way. Um, it, it has been a long, tough road. And then you add COVID-19 to it. And it has been a, um, it's been a, a, a long, tough road on flat tires. Seeing that we appear to uh, be headed in the in the road towards reaccreditation, um, it has grown us to be a very strong, bonded fire department that has thoroughly looked at every aspect of what we do and why we do it. That kind of leads me into uh, well, something that you said earlier, and what you just said leads me into this next question. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about your philosophy on leadership in general? And then as a fire officer, uh, a chief officer in the field running calls, um, you know, as a command officer, your leadership philosophy regarding leading in high stress environments. Yeah, so um, in and around the fire station as the fire chief, I very much have a, a, a coaching style form of leadership, um, you know, uh, and almost a collaborative approach uh, form of leadership um, around, the fire, around the fire department. Um, and, and the reason for that is this, is yes, I may hold the title as fire chief, but I do not know everything. I certainly do not know everything in regards to ops. I have firefighters, lieutenants, and chief officers in the fire department that have more experience than I do, um, running calls out there, scene management and things like that. And so um, it's important for me uh, to recognize that. And so when there's a policy decision that has to be made, when there is um, an operational decision that has to be made, um, it's, it's important that I go and I reach out to certain individuals of the fire department 
and think things through um, because I do not know everything and I do not have all of the answers. So that, that does two things for me in my experience. One is it, it gets a broad uh, approach towards a solution to a problem. And two, it creates buy-in. And those are two things that, um, that I feel are very successful in making a decision and leading a fire department. Now, when it comes to scene management, it comes to, um, it comes to uh, making certain judgment calls and scene direction uh, on an emergency uh, situation, you know, that's a little bit different of an approach. That's more of, um, of a direct um, leadership style of we need to get the job done. However, there comes a point in time when you're commanding a scene or you're making decisions that you must take a step back and evaluate your decisions and evaluate um, uh, if you've made the right call and, and is a plan B necessary. Those are very different ways of thinking. Um, one, scene, very direct. Two, around the fire station and making policy and decisions. Um, and the collaborative approach using the people in your fire department that uh, that have certain skill sets that you do not have. On that note, I would imagine that you didn't formulate those philosophies in a vacuum. I'm sure that you have some experiences that helped shape that philosophy. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about your personal experiences, maybe your successes and, and maybe some poor decisions you made that led you to go, okay, well, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> well, yeah, so I was, uh, I was a very young lieutenant, very young company officer. And I, and I remember um, we, had a, we had a problem uh, we, as in my entire shift, me included, had a problem with when we turned over the station for the next crew, um, that the next crew always complained of, uh, of a dirty kitchen. Um, and I'm sure this is not isolated to the Maitland Fire Department and, and, and the two particular shifts, my shift and the shift that uh, relieved us in the morning. But our old fire station had a dishwasher that you had to actually plug into the kitchen sink. And so uh, you plugged in this old dishwasher and the kitchen sink and the dishwasher ran. Well, that required, um, it required you to unload the dishwasher in the morning so that the, the oncoming crew could have nice clean dishes and, uh, and could start their day. Well, on more than one occasion, uh, some of my firefighters would forget to unload the dishwasher. And so, um, you know, after speaking to them more than once, I, I, told, uh, I, I was told by the lieutenant that once again, the dishwasher was not unloaded. Well, um, I decided that the best course of action at the time was to get on the phone and call uh, those firefighters um, on their personal day, on their personal time. And, uh, and, and I told them that, you know, one of them needs to go back and unload the dishwasher because the other crew uh, shouldn't, ha shouldn't have to do that work for them um, and uh, on, on their day off. And I was not very nice about it. I was rather direct and rather, uh, rather abrupt about my, my desire and what I wanted them to do. 
well, the next, the next time we all came together, the next shift, um, I observed in my station with my firefighters, I observed a lot of resistance on how things were being done. You know, we, we had lost the camaraderie and it wasn't until my engineer pulled me aside after a few shifts of going through these, you know, strained relationships in the firehouse, which um, any firefighter can tell you, uh, you know, a firehouse is a very unique place and, you know, it's built on relationships. It's built on bonds. And it was very strained at the time. And uh, my engineer pulled me aside and said, you know, it's the way that you talk to the guys. It's, it's the, it's the, how you made them feel and you belittled them and uh, over a dishwasher over dishes uh, over another shift talking bad about them. And, um, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I, it, it wasn't, it, it was never my intention. My intention was not to belittle the guys. My intention was not to talk, talk down to them or anything. My intention was to get their, get their attention so that they could, uh, could, you know, do something simple, like empty the dishwasher, such a trivial thing, but, my point is, is that, is that as a, as a, as a company officer, I learned uh, some very valuable skills on how to deal with situations, how to deal with people, and to get the most out of um, a negative situation and turn it into a positive one. And um, I still use, I still use this uh, to this day of this this saying, you know. Um, it, it, it has nothing to do with what you do, but it has everything to do with how you make people feel. And uh, when you make people feel less than human or you make people feel less than themselves, um, you will never get uh, anything out of that person. And, um, and I had to recover from being from overreacting and, and dealing with a situation so trivial like a dishwasher. So how about uh, your successes? I don't have any of those. <laughs> um, well, let me give you some context because those, those instances that, that shape us, it's not necessarily the things that we know how to do and, and get them right. It's those instances where we're like, oh crap, I've never experienced this before. How do I apply my past experiences to overcome this situation? And when it works out in your favor, you're like, whew, <laughs> I gotta remember that. And, and that, that type of success, I think, stays with us, creates a, a much more firm uh, mode of operation. You know, it helps us solidify our decision-making processes better than, you know, just something that comes second nature and it, it works out the way it always does. You know what I, you know what I'm saying? 
I, I'm not really sure if it is uh, if it is a success or I just I had a vision, and and I um, and due to some some unfortunate situation that took place in the fire department, I was able to uh, put someone in a position that has really proven to be successful. Um, and uh, so for years, the Mayland Fire Rescue Department did not have a dedicated training individual, training chief. And due to uh, the resignation of, um, of a member, uh, I was able to reshape fire administration and restructure things and bring in a shift supervisor, a shift lieutenant into a training chief, training officer position. And um, this individual is very experienced, very qualified for that position, but it is one that we have not had in this fire department in quite some time. You know, being a small fire department, we really rely on uh, the companies to, to provide the training to the entire department. And I knew that I wanted to have training um, conducted in a more uniform fashion. And so I brought up uh, a lieutenant, a shift lieutenant uh, to start running our training for the entire department. It was a leap of faith, not only for the lieutenant because I wasn't sure that he was going to enjoy going from shift work to days. And the other leap of faith was I wasn't so sure that the department was going to be ready to uh, follow under a uniformed approach with training as opposed to a more of a shift level training uh, approach. And so fast forward two years from now, it is a it is a fine oiled machine that is uh, working very well. And uh, our department is probably better than ever at uh, certain operations. And it is it has been through the success of this training chief that has was able to tie in some loose ends and um, really bring the department together. You want to share their name? Give them sure. kudos. And the name is uh, Chris Clayton. He's a division chief of training. Nice. I'm curious what advice you would give to, to young men and women that are considering a career in the fire service. Advice that you would give to current firefighters that are looking to promote. And then chief officers who want to be better leaders? Well, I'm going to say this one thing, and this kind of goes all the way across the board with all the positions from people that aren't even in the job yet to those that are looking to become fire chief. And that is, it's not about you. It is not about you. It is about them. It is about the people that we serve out there, the people that are subject to call 911, uh, your, your elected officials, um, and then, and then uh, you know, the people that you work with, it is about them. You need to be the very best firefighter and the very best either paramedic or EMT that you can be for those people um, because nothing, nothing in this job is by yourself. Now, for the entry-level firefighter, for the person that's looking to get into the job, 
um, this job is, uh, is scrutinized and looked at with a microscope. So keep your nose clean, prepare to be the public servant, and then remember that you are going to answer the call to someone on their very worst day. And so be ready for that. Every day, be ready for that. Do not let any day go for granted. And as long as you are a better firefighter, better paramedic or EMT, when you get off shift, than you were when you started shift, then you've done something right. To a, to a firefighter that's looking to become an officer, build on the lessons that you've learned and make sure to listen to those that work around you and harness the skills that they have to make your shift be the best shift that it can be. And then lastly, treat people with respect and they'll give you all the respect in return. To a future fire chief, remember who you work for. You don't work for yourself, you work for the people and never lose sight of your mission. How do you continue to learn in order to stay ahead of the curve within your role? As, as fire chief? Well, luckily in Central Florida, there's a great collaboration with other fire chiefs and other chief officers. So I'm constantly communicating with the fire chiefs in Orange and Seminole County. Um, so that's one, uh, collaborating with, with other chiefs, learning lessons learned, learning the things that they are doing right and the things that they are doing wrong. The other thing is constantly reading the same things, but from around the country, and then paying attention to what's going on. Trying to, one of the, one of the most difficult things of being a fire chief is anticipating, in, anticipating what the next crisis is going to be. Um, just like, you know, two years ago, anticipating a pandemic and anticipating how bad that pandemic was gonna impact us. Um, or, you know, here in the state of Florida, anticipating the next big hurricane and how it's gonna impact your community. And so learning from uh, case studies and learning from the, the things that have gone right and wrong in your area and just trying to stay on top of what the next thing is going to be. Um, but I cannot, I cannot stress enough the importance of collaborating with your fellow fire chiefs um, because um, for the most part, we are all going through the same thing or have gone through the same thing or are going to go through the same exact thing that each other are going through. So learning from each other has been the greatest strength that I can think of. What technology related to your role are you researching the most right now? Gosh, it's such a difficult question because I would say just technology in general and all aspects of technology we're researching a tremendous amount. Um, well, I would imagine I've, that through the, the accreditation process, 
there's technology that you've had to look into to, to help um, run the department more efficiently? Yeah, so I would say right now, the, the thing that, that we are on the brink of looking at is inventory control technology, whether it's medication and, and just overall inventory. Um, you know, it, it, it has the ability to save a tremendous amount of money for fire departments. And so a department our size, uh, we rely on the members um, to, to carry the brunt of the load of inventory control. And as the demand for our members increases because of call load, um, there is a need for us to look at uh, technology to help maintain that. And so uh, there's, there's lots of companies out there that provide um, inventory control, in, uh, equipment usage, and uh, its useful life. Um, so that is something that we are looking into that would really help our accreditation efforts, uh, both with uh, ambulance accreditation and fire. If you could do anything, if you had an unlimited budget and somebody tasked you with making some changes to the fire service in the United States, if you could do anything to improve the fire service in America, what would you do? I would bridge the gap between the hospitals and healthcare and emergency medicine. I would make it more seamless for EMS personnel to obtain the records and to assist patients that are released from the hospital into their own private residence and allow for the constant communication between their medical professionals, their doctors, the hospital staff and EMS because there's a tremendous breakdown in communication there. And I believe that it um, drives to a lot of unnecessary trips to the hospital by patients that could have otherwise have been prevented. And on the surface, that approach is already underway in some areas uh, by means of a community paramedicine program. But if I had unlimited funds, I would enhance that much more because ultimately the patients out there would benefit from less trips to the emergency department and less trips into the hospital. So how would you, how would you streamline that communication process? Well, immediately when a patient was released from the hospital, that information would go into a database that EMS personnel would be able to tap into. And when the EMS personnel arrived at the scene of the house, uh, the, um, the paramedics would be able to access that information and look at the last time the person was in the hospital, the treatment that they got, their diagnosis, uh, their follow-up procedures, 
who their doctors are, and uh, if necessary, collaborate between those two entities to determine the best course of action for that patient. Um, because I believe that the emergency department is not always the best place for that patient to end up. And, and you, and you believe that, um, in some areas that is, uh, that is occurring with the community paramedicine programs. I do. Um, I, I do believe it is, it is happening. Um, you know, the, the other thing that the fire service isn't very good at, it's, uh, it is not very good at doing things as a collective group. For instance, um, I heard one of your podcasts, uh, Chief Otto Droz stated that, um, that law enforcement is very good about um, about doing things as a regional effort or a state effort or a national effort. Um, and, and fire departments, we have fallen short of that. And so that's why there are agencies in this country that have a well-established community paramedicine program, but then you have others that aren't. Um, it's because there's not, a, there's not a general approach to handle something like law enforcement does as Chief Drews um, talks about in his podcast. And so, um, that's why there are areas that have a well-established meaning paramedicine program, you know, and, and, and that's great, but we have an opportunity to make it better. And if I had unlimited funds, um, uh, that would be the place that I would dump a tremendous amount of money in because it would, it would allow fire departments and EMS providers to really answer the call for those that are truly in need as our call demand increases, it would um, it would allow us to uh, it would allow us to answer those calls without overtaxing the system on unnecessary trips to the hospital. When did you take over the position of fire chief? January of 2019. So in the last two years as fire chief, what has inspired you most? The support of the firefighters in Maitland and the trust that they have instilled in me, especially over the last year. Can you elaborate on that? I'm a very young fire chief. And so um, to some, I may seem underqualified or inexperienced to take on this position. And so um, I would be naive to think that that wasn't the case with some of my own firefighters and some of my own command staff. Uh, but I have received nothing but uh, support and, um, and trust in changes that I've made, decisions that, that I've made in the direction of the fire department. And over the past year in dealing with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we've had to make drastic changes in our day-to-day -day operations. Uh, some of those changes taking place overnight and then doing a 180 to a different change the very next day. Um, yes, there have been some difficulties making those changes because uh, they were so drastic, but every one of the changes has been met 
uh, in open arms and welcomed by, um, by everyone in the fire department. Um, it's a humbling experience uh, to be in this position and have individuals that work with you uh, that give you that much trust. And, um, and I just, probably the number one thing I think about coming to work every day is living up to that trust by the firefighters and also the citizens, city hall, the elected officials. I mean, it is, um, it's a humbling experience to, to be in this position and to, uh, to accept that. And that being said, I, I know full well that being in that position and being, uh, being the fire chief with, with that knowledge that you have to live up to that trust that, that they're giving you, there's a level of stress that comes with that. And I'm, I'm sure that you, you think about it a lot and, and kind of shape a, a lot of your decisions hoping that you are able to live up to, to their expectations. So not only is there that stressor, but just the everyday stresses of, of being a fire chief and um, being the conduit between city hall, the citizens and, and your, your firefighters and fire officers. You've, you've mentioned that when you retire, you want to retire healthy. So my question is, how do you manage your day-to-day? -day? How do you manage your stress? And how are you, how are you getting enough sleep and enough exercise? <laughs> Well, I wake up every day at 4.30 in the morning and I run and exercise uh, for approximately an hour to an hour and a half every morning before work. And I have to do that because I have to, one, it helps me wake up, two, it helps me get motivated for the day, and it just overall relaxes me throughout the entire day. Um, I'm not a night person, so uh, so I... I have to wake up early and I have to get it done. Uh, and uh, once I get to the office, uh, you know, I just, I tackle every day with, uh, with a project list. And uh, it, essentially it's a, it's a gigantic in basket exercise day in and day out, uh, prioritizing things with the most crucial and, um, and then chipping away at things uh, as they, as they uh, come into play any given day. Is that something that you've established throughout your career or is that uh, way of operating um, a result of somebody mentoring you? No, it's, uh, it's, it's not how I've always been. No, no, not really at all how I've always been. Um, I was... Um, I was operating at the scene of a, of a small brush fire on an island in the center of Lake Maitland. And um, after uh, working on the, 
on, on a brush fire on an island, as ironic as that is, um, uh, we returned to the dock and, uh, and I had a medical event um, that is still unexplained uh, that required me to be transported to the hospital while I was on duty. Um, I remember looking at myself in the mirror in the hospital room and realizing that I was starting to get out of shape and that I wasn't, um, wasn't very proud of how I looked. This is when I was a lieutenant. And uh, from that point forward, I really tried to work on my physical health. Um, but it wasn't until about three years ago that I started running a lot and really shedding the weight and achieving the mental health that I, that I wanted. Um, and, and so that is what running has done for me is it has, it has allowed me to get outside or inside on a treadmill and just get into uh, my happy place and, 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 and remember, remember that, you know, mental and physical health is, is paramount um, in any job, but paramount towards a long life. And, and uh, it's the only way that I can remain relatively stress-free in a very high stress environment. Is there anything that that we didn't touch on that maybe you, you feel is important for the listeners? I just appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much for allowing me to interview you. We covered a lot and I, I really appreciate you sharing your lessons and, and advice and, and wisdom. I, I think that there's, there's a lot of people that they listen to this, they'll get a lot out of it. Um, I think it really covers the, the gambit. Um, people aspiring to be firefighters, all the way up to chief officers. And not only that, but a lot of these, these lessons uh, apply to, to any, any individual and any occupation. It's really how you treat people in your mindset when you're when you're leading others, making sure that, like you said, it's not about you, it's about them. Absolutely, I mean that's that that has to be the only way that we act as firefighters and as paramedics um, is that we constantly come in every day, put on the uniform, and remember why we're here. You have to be the firefighter that you want to show up at your house when you dial 911. And if you can't be that, then you need to go home. And if you continuously can't be that, you need to consider another profession. I agree. And I think everybody out there <laughs> would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Nobody calls 911 wanting somebody that's disgruntled. <laughs> yeah. Nobody calls 911 and says, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take the B squad or I'll take the, the, the D squad. I'll, you want the people that are going to be uh, the number one. You know, you want, the, you want the best out there, period. So be your best. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Chief. I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you, man. Continue to do the good work for all of us and, um, and look forward to seeing you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. 
please visit hollenbockleadership.com for additional content. Dave's goal is to add value to as many people as possible. So if he can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with him via email or on one of his social media accounts linked on the homepage of his website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. And the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.